Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning again, RCC. I am excited to be here with you this morning. Be able to give us a message that I believe uh, is the revelation that God has for us this morning from his word. And before we get started, I wanted just to take a moment to maybe introduce myself. That way I'm not just a smiling face uh, that greets you on your way in and your way out. If you have came back since last time I preached or uh, you're new since last time I preached, a little bit about myself. My name is Adam, obviously. I'm on staff here to work with our students. Uh, But I grew up in the north side of Cincinnati. I went to King's High School up there, graduated, and then went down to Lipscomb University and got my undergrad down there. But I'm the oldest of four in my family. So I always say, in other words, I I was the guinea pig for everything. Uh, I have two younger brothers and one younger sister. Love them to death, but they were a pain in my butt sometimes. Um, but outside of that, I love going to coffee shops. I love to hike. I love the Bengals. I love my dog, Remy. She's a Labradoodle. I love sneakers. Um, I got a record player. So some of y'all have record players from like when they were made. I got a record player um, about a year ago, and I love it. So uh, we can connect on that. Uh, but one of the things I've done recently is I've gotten really into golf. Back in June, I started golfing about doing that about every week now. So here pretty soon, I might be out here on the PGA Tour if I, if I keep going in the direction I'm going. Maybe on the Live Tour uh, if they offer me more money. Some of y'all have no idea what that is, but you will soon once they sign me. Um, but enough about me. I, I really am excited to get into our message today. And part of the story that we're going to walk through, that we're going to pick up in is involving somebody having a dream that they just can't get over. And so as I was preparing this, I was looking at some interesting facts about dreams, because I think dreams are really crazy if we stop and think about them. I mean, we're just asleep, but it feels so real when we dream. And it's always so wild to me. We wake up thinking that something happened, and then we're like, oh, that was just a dream. So check out a few crazy facts about dreams. Did you know that when you're dreaming, your brain literally paralyzes every muscle in your body? That way you're not laying in bed acting out your dreams? Like, could you imagine if that wasn't a thing? Like, you look over in the middle of the night and your spouse is doing like a backflip off of the bed, like acting like they're a spy running from a dinosaur. So I'm glad that our bodies paralyzes our muscles. That way that's not happening. And also, it's, it's estimated that about one in every 10 people, about 12% of people dream in black and white. So one in 10 of us are out here dreaming, dreaming like the Andy Griffith show with the little whistle theme song going around in our dreams. But one of the most crazy things that I found out about dreams is that After years of research, all the scientists and and researchers that poured study into it, they still don't really have a general consensus about why we dream or the reason dreams happen. So as we pick up in this story, we're going to be looking at this man who had a dream. And I believe that, and actually I know that as we look through the Bible, there's plenty of examples of people that had a dream that God used to speak to them or or used to help them uh, get to where they were going. So before we jump into uh, some verses, we're going to be in the book of Daniel, towards the end of chapter 2, at the beginning of chapter 3. So if you want to follow along, uh, we'll be in the book of Daniel this morning. So as we go to God's word, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as we enter your word this morning, as we uh, enter your word, not only to receive things, God, but to uh, see new things, to grow in our faith, 
God, I, I ask that you would just meet us where we're at, that you would let your word rest on our heart, that you would still our minds, still our thoughts, so we might be able to hear what you're trying to say to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so before we jump into this, I want to set some context for us, because if you haven't heard this story before, it is a good one, let me tell you. So being in the book of Daniel, to no surprise, our story kicks off with none other than Daniel, the man himself. And at this time, Daniel was living in the area of Jerusalem, so what is now modern-day Israel. But at the time, it had just been taken over by the Babylonian Empire. So another kingdom had came in, taken over the area that Daniel was living in, and now the ruler of the area was the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar took over uh, this new area, and he instructed his chief of staff to go out, round up the brightest, the strongest, the wisest young men, and then train them up to be in the king's royal service. So they go out, they select people, and in that group was Daniel and three of his friends. So they come in, they get trained, and afterwards, the king recognizes, after they've been trained, that Daniel and his three friends were some of the brightest, some of the wisest men in this group. And he selects them to be on his inner circle of uh, servants on his royal service. And after this happens, Daniel and his three friends had some uh, collisions with things that King Nebuchadnezzar was asking. Because of their faith in Yahweh and God, they were living a life that it's, it's at times collided with the things that King Nebuchadnezzar was asking of them. And at first, King Nebuchadnezzar respected that. He, he recognized how wise they were. He appreciated their service. So he allowed them uh, to honor the convictions that they had in terms of the ways that God had called them to live. And then in chapter 2 of Daniel, as we move on in this story, a situation arises in which King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that scares the heck out of him. And I, I imagine he woke up one night in cold sweats, not being able to shake this dream. And it scared him so bad, he sends out a decree to all of his officials. And he's pretty much like, hey, I need you guys to tell me what my dream was and what it meant. He didn't want him to just tell him what it meant because then they could just make anything up, right? He wanted them to tell him what it was and then what it meant. He's like, I need you to do it now, which seems like a, a normal request if you were bothered by a dream. But then he adds this. He's like, I I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. And I imagine his advisor sitting by him and hearing that and be like, okay, king. Let's uh, slow your roll here. I know you're upset about this dream, but do we really need to be tearing limbs from limbs? But he was for real. He, he was so upset, and he wanted this dream interpreted now. So Daniel hears the king's request. And being the godly men that him and his friends were, they go together, and Daniel instructs them to go to the Lord and pray that God would give them the meaning of this dream. And his three friends, uh, their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah who you might have heard referred to as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I know growing up, those were the names I learned uh, going to VBS. But uh, their birth names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the names they were given uh, by, as they were servants or slaves to the king, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. So he's sitting around, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And they go to God and they're like, God, would you please show mercy to us? And allow us to know what this dream was so we might be spared from the king's wrath of tearing limb from limb and knocking down our houses. So we pick up in Daniel chapter 2 verses 19 and 20. And this is what it says. As they're going to God to seek what this dream means, 
It says, that night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. And before we move past that, I want us to slow down a little bit because I believe that we can learn simply from Daniel's initial response here. Because Daniel's reaction to God giving him the revelation that he was seeking actually reveals something about what Daniel's heart posture was. Because Daniel's response to the revelation, it wasn't filled with pride, of, look what God gave me, but with praise. Praise the name of God forever and ever. His first move was to give all honor and glory to the one who is truly in control. And when I see that, I notice that response isn't one of a person who walks into a room and thinks that they have the solution to any problem or, or somebody who feels like they, they can white-knuckle their way through an issue. No, Daniel's response is one that's only somebody who is fully submitted to the work of God in their life would be able to have. And I think it's so important to us or, and for us to think about how we often react when we're put into tough situations. Is your first reaction to feel like it's your battle to fight, your battle to get through? Or is your first reaction to kneel down and say, God, do what only you can do? And the main question we're going to deal with this morning is, are you submitted? Are you submitted? Because just from Daniel's initial response to God providing for him, we can see that Daniel was submitted to God. And, and I think in our culture, the principle of being submitted has been twisted to be negative. And people, when they think of submission within Christianity, their mind goes to the wives submit to your husband verse, which in its own way has been twisted because that was not a one-way call within marriage for women to submit to men because directly after that, the call for the husband is to love and sacrifice for his wife like Christ loved the church in which we know he gave up his life for the church. So being submitted isn't a practice for just some of us or just a select few, but it's a practice. It's a lifestyle for all of us. And, and matter of fact, when we looked at that passage in Ephesians 5, it actually starts out by saying, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So submitting our lives to Jesus and to others who are seeking after Jesus is something that leads us towards a life that is in line with God's will. And as we continue to read from Daniel this morning, we'll see that the example that Daniel gives us, it sets the tone for the rest of this story because we begin to understand that above all else, Daniel and his friends are submitted to and worshiping God at all costs. So moving on in the story, after Daniel receives this vision of what the king's dream meant and what it was, he goes to the king and he lets him know what the dream was and what it means. And what he told him the dream meant was essentially along the lines of this. He told the king, hey, your dream was about a grand statue of a man. And the statue was made up of different materials. And then at the end of this dream, a rock tumbled down from the mountain, crushed the statue. And he goes on to let him know what it meant. He said, the statue represented kingdoms with the golden head of the statue representing your kingdom, King Nebuchadnezzar. And the other sections and materials represented the kingdoms that would follow after you. And the rock that tumbled down from the mountain, well, that represents a kingdom that God is building that will never be conquered or destroyed. So Daniel tells him what this dream meant, and the king was highly impressed. He was so impressed that he actually had his men worship Daniel for what God 
had done through him. And then after that, we see that Daniel is, is given a high position in the king's court, even higher than he had before. And he's now essentially the ruler over his little area. And Daniel, uh, being the uh, stand-up dude that he was, he brings his crew with him. He, he takes his three friends and he's like, hey, I just got this promotion. Y'all come with me. We're going we're gonna to keep things going in this Babylonian uh, little area right here. So Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are now appointed to be in charge of Babylonian affairs with Daniel. So as these four men have now risen to a high level of influence in the kingdom that they were in, I want you to remember how they got there. Because it was only possible because that the fact that they were fully submitted to the Lord. And even as they were brought onto the royal service initially, the one thing the king knew was that they were submitted to God based on the way they lived. And he was fine with it until it, it reached a, a breaking point. They didn't get there because of luck or, or because they were more worthy than anybody else. They were there because they trusted that God would provide when they needed it. And, and I don't know about you, but when I hear that, my mind tends to gravitate uh, to thinking that when we are submitted to God, we're not going to face any struggles or any speed bumps in life. But as you likely know, as we continue on in this story, we see that isn't true for Daniel and his friends. And it's not true for us. So at the beginning of chapter 3, we see King Nebuchadnezzar. He seemingly has some short-term memory loss going on here uh, because he decides to build a huge statue. And the reason I, I joke and say he had some short-term memory loss is because I, I tell you what, if I had a dream that shook me so hard that I was threatened to tear people's arms and legs off over about a statue, man, I would not be going within 10 miles of a statue, let alone building a huge statue for myself, but he goes ahead and builds this massive statue and he commands all of his people to bow down to it. And he gives them this ultimatum. He's pretty much like, hey, all of you guys are going to bow down to the statue at my request. And if you don't, that's fine, I guess, but I'll throw you in a blazing furnace. Up to you. So Daniel and his three friends are put in a situation here where they know the law that God has gave them. Don't have any gods above me. Don't bow down to any idol. And now, being in positions of influence, have to deal with King Nebuchadnezzar commanding them to bow down to the statue. And as we read on, these men refuse to bow down to the king's statue, and the king is furious that these men won't obey him, and he calls them in to address them. And I want to pick up there in our story. So starting in verse 14 of Daniel 3, King Nebuchadnezzar says this, pulls him in and he's like, all right, guys, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. So this situation reaches its tipping point. The king confronts these men with the threat of death if they don't submit to this idol. And, and you might already know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response was here, but I want you to listen to this response with fresh ears because I just can't get enough of this response. I think every single word is so rich. This was their response. They said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able 
to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. When these three men were faced with the worst that this world has to offer, they stood strong to their commitment to the Lord. And let me suggest to you that the only reason they were able to stand strong was because they understood the power of being submitted to God. And I think that so many times in our life when we face hardships, whether it be in our careers, in our health, our marriages, or whatever it may be, we say to God, God, I know you can fix this. I know you have the power to get me through this, which is something these men said when faced with the fire. But it's not all they said because they added, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, they made it clear that they were submitted to the Lord, not because of what he could do for them or the status or the wealth he could bring, but they were submitted to him for who he was. They weren't committed to being faithful to, they were committed to being faithful to the Lord, even if it meant they had to face death. And they would do that before they would put anything else above God. They were saying, God, even if you don't heal this disease, I know that you are good. God, even if this relationship doesn't work out, I trust you, God. You may know similar stories to this one, but there was a a girl who went to church in high school with my girlfriend. She tragically got diagnosed with a, a rare form of cancer. And she fought her battle long and hard, long time. And she ended up passing away. But the thing that I've heard people talk about is how even in the midst of her battle against her disease, she would be sharing the gospel and spreading joy to the staff at the hospitals. And because of her willingness to allow God to use her life, even in the worst of circumstances, God was giving glory and praise. She lived with a God, even if you don't, you are worthy mindset. And I think it's important to ask ourselves, are we submitted to the Lord for what we think he can do for us? Or are we submitted to him because he is a worthy creator whose love for us is greater than we could ever fathom? And oftentimes I think we, maybe without admitting it, we make our submission to God reliant on his provision. And I'm sure most of us at some point in our lives, I know I have, made a prayer that sounds something like, God, if you would just get me through this, I will never X, Y, or Z again. God, if you would just help me overcome this, I will be at church every Sunday. God, if you would just give the Bengals a Super Bowl, I will be in your word every minute of the day, right? But we make our submission to God reliant on something he will provide for us. When in reality, it's meant to be the opposite. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realized that provision cannot happen until there is submission. It was through their submission to God that the provision in this story was even made possible. And God desires each and every one of us, every single person in this room, he desires to use us to build up his kingdom, to do his work in our world, in our communities. But we cannot expect him to put us in charge of big things if we can't first submit our heart to him. Because when we choose to surrender to God, 
every good thing that follows, every increase, it all becomes an opportunity to say, look at what God did. Not because I'm so worthy, but because he's so mighty. So getting back to our story, as you might know, the king was fed up with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego after their refusal. So he has his strongest men gather these three men up, tie them up, lead them down to the blazing furnace, toss them in. But scripture tells us that as the, the soldiers were walking them down and threw them in, the fire was so hot that the soldiers that threw him in even died because the flames were that intense. And after the three men get thrown into the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar, on looking, he's shook because he, he's talking to his people next to him. He's like, didn't we, didn't we throw three men in there? And they're like, yeah, we definitely threw three men in there. He's like, why, why do I see four men and they're walking around unbound and unharmed? And the fourth, now that I'm looking at it, the fourth even looks like a god. So in shock, Nebuchadnezzar goes and he calls the three men out. He's like, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. The three men walk out of this furnace that has just killed men that even got close to it. It says not even a hair on their head was singed. But what I want you to notice here, and maybe you've thought about this before, but I know as I was preparing this message, it really hit me for the first time that there actually was something that did get burnt while these men were in the fire. Because they got thrown in, restrained, tied up by the king's strongest men. And the one thing that the fire seemingly burned were the ropes that were keeping these men bound up. And what is so powerful in this moment is that the thing that was meant to destroy them was used by God to free them. The exact flames that were there to kill these men were the exact flames that burned the ropes that were restraining them. And when we think about our own faith journeys, once we choose to live a life that is fully submitted to the Lord, we know that we will still face hardships at times. We still will have battles that we have to go through. But living a life submitted to God means that those hardships don't happen in vain, but have a purpose. So we can trust that submission to God leads to freedom. Because just like these men in the fire, we too can be refined and freed as we submit our lives to God in the middle of any chaos we might be facing. And if you feel like you're currently in that season of chaos right now, I want you to know that this season of refining in your life, where you're starting to feel the heat build up around you and it seems like you've been tossed into the fire, just as these three men were bound up and thrown into the fire, maybe you feel like you've been living bound up with your hands cuffed to something for far too long. Maybe that's an addiction or maybe a lifestyle that doesn't honor God or maybe just something that has kept you from fully surrendering to the Lord. And what I believe is that through this season of refining in your life, just as the fire burnt off the thing that was, that was holding Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up, so too can God free you from the thing in your life that has kept you tied up. And because of God's power and protection, the fire will not touch you. You will see the other side of this if we continue to submit our lives to Christ. 
So as we live our lives submitted to Christ, one analogy that came to mind is warranties. And now this might not be a perfect analogy, so don't quote me on the intricacies of warranties after service. But when you buy an expensive item, whether it be a new TV, a new car, a new washer and dryer, and I tell you what, if I get one more spam call about, we've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty, I, uh, I might have to sick King Nebuchadnezzar on that person. Um, but oftentimes, you'll have the option to add a warranty to your item. And, and what this does is it guarantees that if something bad were to happen to your item, your warranty, it covers it. You can get a replacement or they'll fix it for you, whatever it might be for that specific thing. But you're only covered by the warranty if you first submitted to it when you got your item and then have followed the instructions on how your item is meant to be used in the manual or whatever, whatever it might be for that item. And in the same way, when we submit our lives to Christ and live in accordance to God's word, the manual, we are covered by our salvation in Jesus. That means that when things go wrong, we don't have to worry about ultimately being destroyed because we know the worst that this world has to offer for us, death can only send us back to the one who saved us. We know that when we have submitted ourselves to Jesus, he has already conquered the grave. We shall not worry because he has gone before us, fought every battle we could ever face, and given us the chance to spend eternity with our Lord. That's why we say we are covered by the blood of Jesus, because he is our protection. He is our provider, and he is the one who walks with us through the darkest valley or the brightest mountaintop. And what I see play out in our lives sometimes is we're all for God covering us. And we're all for receiving the deliverance that God has for us, which is awesome. But when it comes to being fully submitted to God, we as humans tend to be a little bit more cautious. Because we know that when we fully submit, we're going to have to go outside of our comfort zones. God might ask us to take steps of faith that are uncomfortable or scary. We know that it's not always going to be easy when we live submitted to God. And at times, I think we end up uh, approaching living submitted to God the same way we approach tithing. Yeah, God, I can submit my first 10% to you. Yeah, God, I can submit this day of the week to you. And I think we talk about this a lot in churches by saying uh, how our tendency a lot of the times is like, yes, God, I will submit this to you, but... Uh, I don't know about this area of my life. I think I've, as I was writing this, I was like, I think I even said that before. I think we go, God, you can have this, but I want to hold on to this. But in reality, we don't add that second part. We don't add, God, I want to hold on to this. What we actually do is we say, God, I submit everything to you. We just act like that part doesn't exist. We act like, God, I'm fully submitted to you, even though we know God knows everything that's in our lives. But we still, in, in some twisted way, try to hide that from God and act like we're living fully submitted when actually we're still holding back something from God. So my question to you is, what are you holding back from God right now? What area of your life, what promotion, what relationship have you convinced yourself that you can handle it on your own, that you don't need God's provision, that you don't need to submit it to God and knowing that How can you choose to submit it to the Lord? And whatever that might be for you, let let me remind us what the Bible says. It says pride goes before destruction 
in Proverbs 16. And then it says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor in 1 Peter. So in every way possible, we have to humble ourselves and submit all that we are to the Lord. Because submitting our lives to God, it's not always easy. It's not always something we fully understand. But at the end of the day, just like Daniel and his friends, when we submit our lives to God, there is nothing on earth or in hell below that can separate us from the deep love and grace that the creator of the universe has for you. So I don't know where you personally currently stand in being fully submitted to God. But what I do know is that when we live our lives submitted to Jesus, we find purpose in every single day. We find love around every corner and we find God's provision when we need it most. And when we do that, whether we feel like we're walking through the lowest of lows or we're walking through the highest of highs, whether we just need God to get us through the day or we need God to help us keep our hearts surrendered to him in the increase, we have to keep our sight on the one who has always been a provider, who has kept every promise he's made and loved us even when we didn't deserve it. So as we close a band, you can, you can come. But I believe that in your life, whether you feel like you've been thrown into the furnace, whether you feel like you've just walked out of the furnace, or whether you're looking from a distance, you think, I'm, I think the furnace is coming. Any moment in our life when we face trials, when we face hardships, God is at work in our hearts continuously. And nothing bad that could happen in our lives can stop his work, can stop his love for us. So my challenge to you is to not hold anything back from him because we see in scripture over and over again that people who God brings forward, who uses in the world, one common theme is that at at every turn, they're seeing how they can continue to submit to God. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our lives. He deserves our love and adoration. So let us go out living a life that is fully surrendered to the one who is worthy, to the one who has gone before us sacrificed his life for us and as he went to the cross, who is Jesus. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we sit before you, we know that you are worthy. And we know that there's moments in our life where uh, we just need to submit something to you in whatever circumstance it might be. God, whether it's something we're going through right now, whether it's something that happened to us years ago, God, I pray that you would just give us the courage to take a step of faith and to submit it to you. Pray that as we go out into the world, that we would be people living for you, God, and not just on a singular day of the week or a singular moment throughout the day. God, I pray that we would continuously be seeking your heart. And just as the men were thrown into the fire and came out unscathed, God, we believe that you are our provider, you are our uh, rock, our foundation, and we trust you, Jesus. We love you and are so thankful for all you've done for us. It's in your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.